rather than fake it until you make it, I kind of flip the meaning of it and I tell people practice it until you become it, right? And it means, okay, you go there and you have certain areas that you need to develop, let's say, for those conversation or, or public speaking, right? Okay, you're not a great public speaker, but you know what some of the, um, let's say the body language should be like, what, you know, how you should speak, how you should make eye contact with the audience. Don't fake it, practice it. You know, be yourself, be someone who is practicing these new skills. And if you, going back to the point that I made just a moment ago, if you do it and practice it enough, you will normalize it, you will become it. It will become unconscious competence. Welcome to the Ideas on Stage podcast, your regular insight into leadership communication. Hey, Thomas, great to see you. Welcome to the show. Hey, Andrea, thanks for having me. I'm uh, really looking forward to this. I'm also looking forward to it. I told you before we got started, Thomas, that I I wanted you to appear on a podcast for a long time. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. We are going to talk about your area of expertise, which is all around uh, personal uh, performance, confidence, self-belief, which is which has all of these things have a lot of implications when it comes to the theme of of this podcast leadership communication presenting public speaking and i i'd like to start with a curiosity because i follow you online thomas and i've been doing it for a few years now by the way can you believe it i think when we met it was 2018 2018 it's now i believe it yeah five years it's been five, five years, years. Yeah, it feels like yesterday five years and <laughs> i know like you are very transparent with with your goals your achievements and i saw on your blog that i think it was a few maybe towards the end of last year that you've run a 70k ultra marathon and i wanted to ask you about it because i also run a lot but not not like you now you told me before we got started that you are preparing for a 100k ultra marathon i i right. run every single day thomas but for me, it's just a 20 minute thing. It's more of a mental thing after work every day. I love it, but it's 20 minutes and I finish. I'm tired and I feel like I've done something amazing. You do 70 kilometers, a hundred kilometers. How can you do that? Well, if you put the right training in, it's not, I don't say it's not difficult. It's you run for seven hours. I mean, I run for seven hours and it's, and it, it actually went quite quick. Um, and I actually wrote an article about this. And I think what's, you know, I learned a lot about it and actually realized how much personal development in general helped me you know, with that goal in particular. And one of the key things was just planning and pacing. Um, because if you if you look at my Strava um, overview of the run, I was very consistent <clears throat> with my pace for the seven hours. Because I had very clear plan, I knew what I needed to do. Um, nutrition, you have to fuel and take um, salt tablets, and there's a lot of um, technicality that comes into it. But I think the uh, you know the mindset game of the run at the, at some point it just becomes about about the mindset um, rather than you know physically you reach a point where it's just where you're just tired and everything hurts. But um, it's 
the head and the heart that keeps it going. But one of the the things I like about you, Thomas, is that on the one hand, at least what that's what I see as an outsider. You are to me, you are an achiever. You get things done. You achieve things. But on the other, you in the way you communicate, you are very much down to earth. I like your approach. And also, I have to say also for listeners, you are the one of the 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 main people who years ago told me a very important skill because you told me as part of the Dent Accelerators how to sell, which for somebody who runs a business, not just for, for business owners, but especially for business owners, it's a crucial skill. In the end, if we think about business, you, you need to make something, you need to sell something. It's So at, at the very, very least, it's 50% of what you need to do. I would argue even more. So uh, thank you very much again for that. And also, uh, over the years, a couple of times, I I wanted some advice from you. You've always been very, very present and, and supportive. So I really appreciate it. Hey, pleasure. And and on that note, um, I just want to acknowledge you and congratulate you on the success that you've built. I've been watching as well over the years, being very relentless, very hardworking. And what you've built, it's, it's great. And... Um, yeah, it's it's inspiring, and and if I could have just helped you on the way, and if you learn something from that, it's helping you, then then I've done my part. Thank you. And one of the one of the things that stood out for me when I met you a few years ago is your mantra, if you want, your tagline, which is very memorable. You talk about the fact that okay is not enough. For for That's our right. listeners, before we get into the actual meat of the conversation, and by the way, this is very much connected, of course. Um, for those who know nothing about this, what do you mean by okay is not enough? A great question. And it's sometimes misunderstood in what I mean by that. You see, when I say okay, it's not enough, it's not about never being satisfied and uh, going like crazy, always wanting more and running yourself to the ground has nothing to do with that. It's um, when I talk about the okay, if you imagine sort of three levels or three zones in life, um, sort of stuck on top of each other as a kick, very simply, okay is in the middle, below is below okay is something I call the rut, and on top of the okay is something that I call the winning zone. And I believe most of us are in the okay zone in life because we are, you know, it's our instinct to be drawn to okay because okay means safety and safety means survival. It's our evolutionary drive. And um, to simply explain that, imagine, well, let me ask you this question. Let's say you go on holidays somewhere to a resort and the resort is okay. Would you go back? Maybe not. If you go to the cinema and um, watch a movie and it's and it's okay, would you go and watch it again? Yeah, maybe not. And that's how we often feel about you know okay, it's okay. It's I call it the tolerable, not the necessarily like the bottom of the okay. I call it the zone of tolerable discomfort. But you know, okay, we're drawn to it, but it's it's convenient. But the okay is really fulfilling. And exciting and um 
just makes us feel alive. It's it's the winning zone. And it doesn't mean that we have to be in the winning zone all the time, but we should be in the winning zone in the important areas of our of our life, whether it's the business or just how we are as a person in terms of confidence or even you know public speaking. We should at least aspire to be in the winning zone. Because I know, look, many of many people who come to me for coaching. Then life is not in shambles. Their life is not falling apart. They're okay. They tell me, it's all, I'm, you know, it's nothing hurts and I'm, I'm a good bye. It's, it's good. It's okay. But, you know, something is missing. They feel, This is the thing. When we are in the okay zone, and this is the, I think, worst part about it, deep inside, deep in our heart, we know we can do better. And that's one of the reasons why I run these, you know, ultra marathons and so on, because I feel, okay, I, I can do better. And there's something very satisfying when you know that you've done your best and it doesn't mean winning necessarily the race or being having the best business or being the best speaker it's just you knowing that you pushed yourself and you're squeezing the best out of yourself and you can never do it while staying okay yeah and you also you already mentioned the word confidence which is a key word for me thomas because if I think about our, our audience, our listeners, even today, our clients, if there's one thing they want to achieve is they want to become more confident presenters, more confident speakers. Now, you talk a lot about how to be more confident, how to build confidence. Before, before we went live, you also shared a very interesting story about, was it Nikki, one of your clients? Uh, which yeah. which illustrates nicely how you look at things in terms of confidence. So, can you comment on that? Can you can you tell us a little bit more about building confidence in general? And then it would be great if you could include uh, that anecdote from from Nikki, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. So, look, confidence is often quite misunderstood because people think of confidence is you know as, as ha- having confidence, but we don't. We don't have confidence. We do confidence. We even say the language that I am confident. It means that you are being confident. So it means it has something to do with our actions, right? So confidence is our actions and our beliefs. Now, when I work with clients on confidence, very often we... Look, if you think of a person who is not confident, let's say a a public speaker who is not confident. If you close your eyes and picture somebody or for your listeners, the person, the speaker will have certain characteristics. It will have certain body language. There'll be a way they speak. Maybe it's quiet and doubtful and maybe it's too slow or too fast and kind of scattered. The way they move, it probably wouldn't be you know, they, they wouldn't carry themselves. They may be hunching over and nervously, you know, pacing up and down. So there'll be certain border language because when we feel a certain way, um, and Tom Robbins talk about state, when we're in certain state, it affects our physiology, our beliefs, and our language. Now, what many people don't realize is our physiology also affects our state. Our beliefs and our focus also affects our state. And our language, the way we speak, also affects our state and so the first thing when i work with people on confidence i uh, help them understand that confidence is something that they do and we start looking at these individual um, areas of that so physiology your language 
it's the easiest thing to to fix. It's all the quickest because we have 100% control over that. And um, but also when in terms of confidence, because it's a it's something we do. It's sort of a skill. And I even say confidence comes from the feeling of competence, and competence comes from experience. So the more experience we are doing something or being a certain way or speaking a certain way, walking a certain way, the more competent we feel to do it right and the more confident we will feel to be that way. And so I believe a lot of these skills or qualities are actually behavioral skills. And so uh, to use that that mini case study of one of my clients, um, when this, this goes back several years, uh, her name is Nikita, a great girl, and she came to me because she wanted to improve her confidence. Uh, she was working in a bank, and she wanted to um, work as a PA for one of those, you know, big bosses. But when she for, when she went for an interview, she just froze. They asked her questions, and she told me she just froze. She can't speak. She's just sitting there, and obviously, she's not getting the job. And look, on paper, she had all the reasons to feel confident. She, you know, she was in her early 20s, attractive, intelligent. It was all that. But for some reason, she didn't. Now, so we started working on practicing confidence. But also during the sessions, we started working on just picking apart why her beliefs and what is she focusing on. Look, if you focus on the reasons why you shouldn't be or can't be confident, you find them. We always find what we're looking for. If you ask yourself, oh, what am I going to mess up? Well, you answer your own question. Well, because I may do this, I may may do that. If you ask yourself, okay, how can I get it right this time? Well, you answer your own question and you will find the, you know, your better answers. So just helping understand that the focus is important, but also we are working on her beliefs, which is, you know, a whole big conversation. We usually have some kind of, um, you know, beliefs, which is nothing, belief is nothing more than information we take as truth, right? And so we were looking at these beliefs and essentially putting them under the microscope and fact check them. And we realized or found out that many of the beliefs were not true. They were based on nothing. She was just looking for evidence for that. And we can, can always find it. But the key part, the behavioral change, uh, happen with the task or kind of agreement that I have with many of my clients now, regardless of what what goal we're working on, if it's applicable, which was, look, I would like you to every day do something that will be a little bit uncomfortable, be a little bit scary, just just a tiny bit, like one, two, three percent outside of a comfort zone. And I'd like you to check in with me on WhatsApp what it was that you did. Now, just to paint the picture of how bad her confidence um, level was when we started. Her first message was, I sat next to a stranger on a bus. Like that was uncomfortable. Yeah, imagine. Uh, and so, but she was checking in every single day. And over time, her messages, all these updates where I could see the actions were getting getting braver and bolder uh, to the point that, um, I don't know, a few, few weeks in, she messaged me that she went shopping with her sisters, I believe, or friends, which was the first time for her, or she felt uncomfortable doing that. And then a couple of months in, I remember specifically there was this message where she uh, said, 
uh, spoke up during the meeting at work, which she's never done before. She was sitting you know, through the meetings because she didn't want to make a mistake. And she felt, she felt great about it. Hey, well done. Always, you know, acknowledge it and kind of praise it a little bit because behavioral that gets rewarded, gets repeated. And um, a couple of weeks later, she messaged me something related to the previous one. She said, I corrected my boss during a meeting at work. And I was like, whoa, amazing. But hold on a moment. You know, it's all great building confidence, but don't lose your job. You know, don't be of the wrong people. And but still, we worked together for about six months, and I think like four, maybe five months in, uh, one of her messages was um, that she gave a speech at her grandma's birthday party, and there were a lot of people there. She had a big family, and she was every single day checking in with something that she did that was a little bit uncomfortable. I imagine this is like five months, and she went on holiday, she was still doing it. And I remember towards the end of our six-month program, I was running workshops on lots of different topics. One of them was self-confidence. And I had about 35, 40 people booked. And I told her, I said, hey, I'm doing this confidence workshop. And I absolutely love the, the, the journey that you've been on and how much you grew. How do you feel about coming to that workshop and sharing a little bit about your journey? And I, I thought it was a long shot. Because you know what it's like to you know, do public speaking. 40 people is not a small crowd. And she said, yeah, okay, I can do it. And she showed up on the day. She had notes on, on a little, um, I think, um, sticky notes or little cards. And she spoke for about 10 minutes. Again, she wasn't a motivational speaker, rah-rah, Tony Robbins style. But she stood in front of them, calm, collected. Um, and she shared her story. And I was absolutely blown away. And you know what? Eventually, she went for the interview and she got the job. And now, you could actually look her up uh, on Instagram. Her handle is, I believe, Nikki Yoga. And it says Nikki Yoga because she has her own yoga studio. She has her own business. And this shy girl, a few years ago, is now on Instagram making videos um, speaking to the camera, sharing about the benefits of yoga, doing you know little uh, yoga routines. And she was just recently mentioned in one of the uh, big newspapers because um, uh, she shared her opinions about some kind of controversy that's going on around yoga. And um, I was really stoked for her because it was she continued the journey even, of course, after we finished working together. But I could clearly see how her mindset has been changing because throughout those actions, she was building up that confidence credit score, so to speak, the history of all these different actions, which is really important because very often when people doubt themselves is because they're about to do something. You may be speaking in public and they think, well, I've never done this before. I don't know what to do. They have no history to, to back that confidence with. Whereas if you do something regularly, that's a little bit uncomfortable, you're building up that track record that you can really lean on as as evidence that you can do scary things. And Thomas, the the key takeaway for me, if we want to bring it back even more to presenting, public speaking, is something I deeply believe in. So we are very much aligned. You said that confidence is something that you do. So it, it boils down to the to the actions you take. 
a key mistake I see so often, Thomas, is that in my in my space, lots of people think that confidence in presenting comes from wishful thinking or innate self-belief. Whereas now, confidence has nothing to do with that. Confidence comes from, as you said, from the from what you do. It comes from familiarity. The more you do certain, the more you speak in public, the more confident you will become at speaking in public. So we are very much connect, very much aligned there. Uh, you also started talking about, as you said, as you said, Nikki's story. You also mentioned something around beliefs, limiting beliefs. Can we go a little bit deeper? Because I know that you also talk about overcoming limiting beliefs. Now, one limiting belief I hear all the time with my listeners, clients is I'm not a great presenter or I'm not a natural speaker. I'm not a natural storyteller. So that that's an example of a limiting belief. What What's your take on beliefs, limiting beliefs, and how to overcome them? Great question. So I think the first uh, thing I do with people when it comes to working on limiting beliefs is to help them understand that these are just beliefs. Not everything we believe is true. As I said, belief is just and information that we take as truth. But very often we are wrong. And sometimes people think of a belief as a, as a table, as a tabletop. Now, the tabletop will only hold up if it's held up by legs, right? So belief is the tabletop and the legs are the supporting evidence that the belief needs to, to, to hold up. And as I mentioned earlier, we always find what we're looking for. Now, not necessarily in you know the riches in life and things like that, but the answers of what we're searching for with our focus, that's what we that's what we will see, right? And when people have a belief that, you know, I'm an, I'm not a natural presenter, this will make them focus on finding evidence why that may be true. They look at other people who make presenting you know, just effortless and because they're, they're, they're masterful at it. That's what masters do. They People who are extremely good at doing something, they make it look effortless. But we both know it's through you know, enormous amount of repetition and refinement. That's what makes it effortless. Um, little little um, interlude. Um, just I live in Canada Wolf, and when when I look out of the window, there's a big building, and uh, one of my old friends lived there, and she was a pianist, um, a concert pianist, um, you know, extremely accomplished. And um, once I had a play, and I, you know, you can't even see the hands how quickly she, you know she's playing. And I told her, well, "This is a, this is amazing. I'm I'm absolutely blown away." And she told me, "You wouldn't be so impressed if you knew." how much I practice this, right? And so, and that's why I don't believe in talent. I believe in physiological predisposition. If someone is six foot five, they just have um, advantage for being a basketball player over someone who is, I don't know, five foot three. But there are basketball players who are quite short, but I, I sort of refuse to believe in talent because anybody who I know who is so-called talented, 
it's almost offensive to attribute that to some um, innate advantage because I know how hard they work on the mastery that they have. Going back to the beliefs is this is the first point to help them understand how my clients understand people understand that okay what you believe in doesn't have may not be true and okay you're not natural presenter okay so let's look for the for what's your evidence for that well i'm not very good at that okay um how much have you practiced being a great presenter well i haven't really so how could you be one uh well you know that person is really they they make it look so effortless okay so let's let's go on their instagram or let's go on their youtube or let's find them online and let's look at the history by the way that's one thing that i really love doing with people who are successful let's say on on youtube or let's say youtube public speaking scroll back to their first video so you can select you know the oldest ones to be showing for see the videos from 10 years ago i mean it's just like you, you'll be cringing probably right this is where they started and so so the first thing is just dismantling the the beliefs that are holding them back just to help them realize that well okay maybe i'm not disadvantaged maybe i just haven't put in the work maybe i haven't really got the mentoring or training and i haven't really tried and and so on and so forth when when i got into public speaking i got into public speaking andrea because i don't have money to run ads for my coaching business and i thought i need to get in front of people somehow and um an old friend of mine sort of teased me that I don't have what it takes to, to run a workshop. I'm, I'm thinking, F you. And I, on my birthday, I scheduled, I opened a meetup and scheduled a first workshop. And I was hoping that no one would show up. I had around 30 people showing up. I was shitting myself. And you know what? It wasn't great. I was shaking. I you know, had my notes. And, it, and I was actually quite upset with, I mean, people said it was valuable. But um, I wasn't very pleased with my performance. And I thought, okay, no, 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 this, this is unacceptable. I need, to, I need to get over this because I truly believe that this is just a skill. So I decided that I'll be running weekly workshop. And I did weekly workshop for two years. I did 100 talks. And of course, eventually I got better. I got more comfortable. I overcame my limiting beliefs. And I realized, okay, it's, it's not really about me. It's about them. I could tell you more about this if you would want to. But, um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm now one of the mentors for Dent, because I can speak in front of 100 people or run, you know, whole day um, Zoom class because I've done it so much. Actions. And so, and now I have the belief that I can do it. I've done it so many times. And so going back to the belief is, first thing, dismantling the inaccurate um, negative beliefs that they have that are holding them back which is usually quite simple because when we put them under the x-ray and just look for, do a little bit of detective work, what the evidence is, there's no evidence. All the evidence is just invalid. And then start building up um, positive beliefs. So looking at their, what they thought they accomplished, looking at their, um, you know, how good they already are, that they're not giving themselves credit for. Because anybody who is a little bit ambitious, um, we have a, I say we, I would like to consider myself being ambitious as well, we have a terrible habit of not acknowledging and celebrating our little wins because it's always like, okay, when I, and let's be honest, it's like when I reach that milestone, then I feel, you know, good enough or and I feel like I've earned it or I feel, you know, whatever that might be. We get there, what we do, 
okay, great. What's next? What's next? And so it's also, I'm teaching my, my clients to just, okay, I'll just, pull, I'll just celebrate this a little bit. You don't have to go out and have a party or something like that. Just sit with yourself for a moment and acknowledge the, the work that went into this, that you had a million opportunities to quit, but you didn't, and that you've done something that you thought wasn't possible because all this helps build that mindset or even system in, in building more positive mindset. Yeah. Is this making sense? Oh yeah, a lot of sense. And you mentioned something. You you gave the example of somebody who believe, who has the limiting belief of I'm not a natural presenter. He or she often starts comparing themselves with with other speakers. And there's an article on your blog where you talk about, which I found very interesting. It's counterintuitive. But I agree with you, and I would like you to to comment on that. You say, you talk about how to not stop comparing yourself. Basically, you explain why, if you do it right, comparison can be good. Can you tell us more about that? Sure, sure. And it's, um, and you know this, and your listeners surely know this as well, we um. We have the tendency, especially in the, you know, the world of social media and all the all the woo-ha um, around it, is that people go on Instagram and they see someone, you know, throwing money in the air, having cars and six packs and the right curves and amazing tan and facial feature symmetry, uh, you know, all these things, and we tend to compare ourselves to them. It's a natural thing. It's an evolutionary adaptation because we in our mind kind of we always perceive where we can where we are on that hierarchy in different areas, whether it's look, wealth, so on and so forth. And so it's a lot of those, a lot of the other advice, let's put it this way, it usually is along the lines of stop comparing yourself. And it's like saying stop breathing. It's just so it's so hard to to work against some of those instincts that we have, which are just they're faster than you can realize. You can train or practice to to do it less, but it will always be there. Now, the reason why I say or the article is about how to not stop comparing yourself to other people because I, I truly believe comparison it can be fantastic and an incredibly valuable and useful tool if you do it right. And this is something that you know I used to compare myself in, in the wrong way to my peers. And hey, when I came here to the UK, I was an immigrant from Eastern Europe with you know I got no money, and, and yeah, I wasn't in a good position to win any kind of comparison. And and it, and it hurts. It it can be every time you do it, it chips away from your confidence, and it can make you feel inadequate and um, you know disadvantaged, so and so forth. But when I got into person development, so I, I didn't like how comparing myself to others made me feel sometimes, especially when they're more successful and accomplished and so on and so forth. So I thought, okay, hold on, hold on. I need to, I need to change this. And there is in the article, I believe I mentioned a quote, one of my favorite ones, it goes, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I thought, okay, how can I, how can I, I don't seem to be able to stop it, but how can I change the, you know, what what it does to me? 
And I actually realized I love comparing myself because especially to people who are better than me, because I don't look at it as, oh, they're up here and I'm down here. And at the end of it, I'm thinking, okay, they have something I want. How did they get there? How did they do it? How did they achieve it? There must be a, you know, I don't believe it just fell on their lap. So it's actually, it's a first step in recognizing someone who is better than me at something that I want. And there is a good chance that I can find some breadcrumbs that they left behind on their way, like studying them. How did they do it? So if you want to be a bodybuilder, for example, let's make a relevant um, example, really great public speaker. So I'll be looking at, I would find someone who is incredible at presenting. There's actually one guy that I follow on Instagram. Um, he's really good. And it's good that he's better than me. Why would I be learning from someone who's worse, worse than me? But in order to recognize that, I need to recognize that, okay, he's better than me. Great. Okay, how does he do that? Does he have a training? Let me watch a lot of his videos. What, what's his body language like? How does he speak? His, his cadence. And so I use that comparison as a starting point for becoming better. And sometimes people protect their ego or confidence maybe or some the self-image by um, surrounding themselves with people who are you know equal or, or worse than them. Okay, it will massage your ego a little bit. Good for you, but so what? If you want to be the the best speaker in a room or the smartest person in a room or, or, or you know, the fittest person in a room. Great. If that's your end point, fine. Stay there. But if you want to get better, you better recognize and compare yourself to other people so you can compare yourself to other people so you can recognize who's better than you. And there's always... So that's my little twist on it. Yeah, I like it. I like it very much, Thomas. There's always room for improvement also. And let's talk about fear. Because you also talk about fear. There's, again, on your blog, there's a practical tactic, if you want, or, or a principle. You talk about fear flipping or something. Fear flipping. Yeah. Fear flipping, yeah. And if we think about, again, our conversation, fear of public speaking is a very common fear. Studies show that about 70, 75% of people have some kind of fear of public speaking. Look, I'm a presentation coach. I speak in public all the time. I help others do the same, but I always feel nervous before before presenting. So, so we've got that. Now, how do you look at this in the context of fear fear flipping? And, and it would be great if you can explain what that is and how it can help. Mm-hmm. So the fear flipping, you know, I, I come up with all these different methods and, and a lot of my coaching and my approach to how I work with my clients. See, I'm not I'm not a theorist. I don't I didn't just read textbooks and I don't just parrot to, to, to people what they could read themselves some way. I have been obsessively studying personal development for some 16 years or so. And I try lots of things, some of them work better than others. And um and I try to uh, create, build my own methods to things. I'm fear flipping. It's, it's um, another one. I don't know if, if I came up with that. Maybe I heard it, read it somewhere. It's labeled it as fear, uh, fear flipping. So essentially, what it is very simple. It's finding a bigger fear, so almost alternative fear to what people are afraid of. 
For example, if someone is afraid of being a public, you know, to to do public speaking or starting a business. So I would flip the fear and I would say, okay, that's fine. But aren't you more afraid of never starting a business and never having your own freedom or being master of your own time and make as you know as much money as much work you're putting in and um aren't you afraid of always being stuck in your day job that you say that you hate and you're not rewarded enough isn't that more terrifying than standing in front of people and speaking for 10 minutes or an hour or or you know with, with business um isn't staying in the job that you hate and all the things that i mentioned isn't it more scary than actually giving it a shot and starting your own business or never becoming a public speaker, having this fear kind of win over you and it will always be on your mind. Oh, you know, you always wanted to speak, you know that you would love it and you're scared of it and it will come back and you will resent yourself. You will, it will be playing on your mind. It will be chipping away from your confidence. Isn't that something to, isn't a bigger fear to be afraid of, a bigger thing or impact to be afraid of? And so I, you know, people have those usually little fears, but I paint on the wall something way more terrifying, real though. You know, if they say, no, actually, I don't mind. I'm not this scared of staying in the same job. Well, great. Maybe you don't want so badly to start your own business. Right. Very okay. Very rarely that happens. But if that was the case, fine. But it's really, you know, fear is a great motivator. And just because we are afraid of something doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. We should really compare it to, okay, what's the alternative? Isn't that something to be even more afraid of? I'm very kind of pragmatic and methodical in my approach. So this is one of the things that I do. <laughs> couple of things there. One is, I guess what that does is, and I'm not, um, Thomas, I'm not an expert in your area. I'm not a psychologist. I know that you study psychology, but I think what that does is it also creates perspective. And I was, as you were explaining this, I was thinking about in other areas of life, for example, because you mentioned starting a business also, you start a business and maybe you've got a goal of, in the UK, for example, you want to reach the threshold, the VAT threshold, 85,000 pounds. And when you start, that looks like a dream. And then you put in the work, you, you do what you need to do, and then you get there. And then immediately the perspective changes. So what used to be a dream, maybe 12 months before or five years before, now is something that, that's not enough anymore. So mm. I think that that's connected, creates that kind of perspective. And one, so another, another thought, one of the other reasons why I wanted to have you on the, on the podcast is because I like your practical approach. You said, I'm not a theorist. Uh, also what I see externally is that everything you say is backed by science. It's not about woo woo remedies or, or, yeah. Uh, to, to be honest so I, I like and i respect your your approach thomas and there's another there's another article i found on your blog where you say can I, so yeah, can yeah, I, go I, ahead one one thing i appreciate that now I, I just remember one important thing 
when it comes to the fear, and I think you might you might like this, it's, it's relevant to what you just said, is very often the fear that's holding people back, let's say public speaking, it's not the fear of public speaking, if they want to become a presenter. It's the fear of giving it a try and realizing for whatever reason they don't have what it takes and the dream would burst. And so very often people are afraid of actually testing or putting that dream to the test and realizing that they can't have it. So they prefer to just have that, to have that dream and always think, you know, like the grandpa thing, oh, you know, if I did apply myself, you know, I could have had this business or run marathons or whatever that might be. Some people just prefer to have that, oh, you know, if only, or, you know, what if story to tell. But the, what I often counter this with is, okay, well, you don't have one shot at this, right? Become a public speaker or great presenter. It's not like you try once and you, and you and you can't do it again. I've botched up so many talks. Some of my talks were not great, especially the first ones. But you know what? I showed up, and I did it again. I did it again, and and little by little improve. And it's um, so people are often yeah, people are often afraid of losing the dream. Yeah, interesting. If they try, and you made me think of a a, a story as part of this podcast. Some time ago, I interviewed Alex Galvez. She's better known for the hashtag Authentic Alex on LinkedIn. She talks about authenticity and she shared with me her experience. We were talking about this particular thing, fear of public speaking. Many years ago, she had a big fear of speaking in public. And at some point, she had two job offers. Both of them were great exciting one offer did not involve her speaking in public the other one did and even if she was super afraid of speaking in public she deliberately chose the one that required her to speak in public be because she wanted to go with the and and try to overcome their fear so the idea is that it's not about overcoming your fear in this case of public speaking and maybe thomas you tell us maybe that's the same in in other areas i don't know it's not about overcoming the fear it's about making the decision to do it anyway despite the fear and then if we make that decision to do it anyway despite the fear if we if we make that decision enough times as you said you over two years you've run a hundred workshops then we do it today, tomorrow, the day after, one, two, three, four, a hundred times. Then eventually we get to a point where it becomes almost natural to either overcome it or at least address it or channel it in a positive way. W would you agree? Oh, 100%. 100%. We, as humans and you know other living form, forms as well, we are very good at normalizing things. Um, getting used to things, which is great and it's and it's bad as well because we can get um, used to you know low standards for ourselves. We can we can also get used to great riches. I work with a client who was um, I call it borderline billionaire, 
And look, money wasn't a thing in his life. It just, it's not a, a barrier to anything. But you know, it, it just didn't, for him, it didn't feel any special because he's been that rich for, for a very long time. And so we get used to, we get used to anything. And this is where, when I was speaking of Nikita, for example, just developing confidence or public speaking skills and so on, this stepping outside of that uh, metaphorical comfort zone, you know, you just put your your pinky out or your big toe out. You just step outside and go back and back out and back in and back out. Uh, it's a little bit like, imagine that you, you change jobs and um, it's a different part of town, different building. Everybody's new. You don't necessarily know the, the layout of the offices. You don't know the people, but you go in and you spend a little bit of time there. You go back home. You go back in, you spend a little bit of time there and start recognizing or start learning, you know, where the, where the cafeteria is, where the toilets are. You start saying hi to certain people. And you build this familiar familiarity with the environment, which will used to be outside of a comfort zone. But the, if you spend enough time there, your comfort zone will expand to the area. Same thing with public speaking. It's of course it's terrifying. You're standing in front of people. Everybody's looking at you. You uh, crazy thoughts are going through your head. You're forgetting everything. You're sweating, shaking. But at some point, you, know, you do it enough, and you realize, okay, I, I didn't die. No one was throwing tomatoes at me. Um, people seem to get some value out of it. And you do it again, you do it again, and you normalize it. Um, and it would just become like you going chatting to people. And it's just people need to give themselves the opportunity to get used to that new feeling, that new experience, so it can become comfortable. Yeah. And it doesn't happen with a powerful coaching session. It's, it's experience and exposure. Yeah, until it normalizes itself. Yeah, I agree. Thomas, there's also another article I found on your blog where you go against the typical piece of advice, which is fake it till you make it. I've heard this so many times, fake it till you make it. You seem to believe that perhaps that's not necessarily good advice. Tell us more. I hate it. I hate it. But if it, it's, it, become, it will become so obvious, hopefully, to anybody who's listening. One of the, and you know this as a business owner, and, and you know, I've through Dent, I've worked with hundreds of, of entrepreneurs. One of the biggest fears when we're coming out with something genuine is that people will dislike it or people think that we are some kind of fraud. We're not genuine, especially in sales, right? I mentor sales. So people are afraid that someone will, that the customer will feel like, oh, he or she is just in here to get my money and they try to rope me or trick me into something. That's one of the biggest fears when we're coming in genuine that someone won't believe it. And so the idea of fake it until you make it. So essentially it says pretend that you're something you're not. And hopefully you know, you will, you'll somehow grow into it. It's a little bit like, say, okay, someone has some personality personality work to do and you say okay go on go on a date and fake being oh no say no personality let's say it's fake being rich or fake being um you know lie about your job first of all you're you're attracting the person on something that's not true secondly um 
it will play on your mind because you know you're being fake. And so imagine even if they if they buy or if they like you, going with a day scenario, they fall for something that is not true. And I'm against that. Um, like um, I think you said, Alex, I'm, I'm really encouraging people to be authentic and genuine. Authenticity is one of my highest values. And so rather than fake it until you make it, I kind of flip the meaning of it and I tell people, practice it until you become it, right? And it means, okay, you go there and you have certain areas that you need to develop, let's say, for Dallas conversation or, or public speaking, right? Okay, you're not a great public speaker, but you know what some of the, um, let's say the body language should be like, what, you know, how you should speak, how you should make eye contact with the audience. Don't fake it, practice it. You know, be yourself, be someone who is practicing these new skills. And if you, going back to the point that I made just a moment ago, if you do it and practice it enough, you will normalize it, you will become it. It will become unconscious competence. But I think it's it's almost just like a linguistic um, or semantic um, tweak to the phrase. But it it changes a lot how people feel about it. Um, I would never encourage anybody to fake it, just be fake. And somehow along the way, you know, you just, you, you it will become true. No, just practice until you get it. You, you, you're right. Um, there, it, it's um, it, it seems like a small semantic difference, but it has big implications. Um, yeah. Um, Thomas, as we get closer to the end of our conversation, I love books. I love reading. Now, if you think about everything we talked about today, personal development, self-confidence, mainly and uh, believe we talk about lim limiting beliefs is there one book i know that you because i follow you online you you also read books is there one book and i know it, sometimes it can be of a, a bit of a hard question because just one book that you would really recommend if our listeners today would like to go a little bit deeper on those on those topics. If you've got more than one book, that's fine, but at least it would be great if you could give us one book for those who want to go a bit deeper. Mm. So um, I'll give you three, if that's okay. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, first of all, I think they're great recommendations. Secondly, I would discourage people from ever thinking, you know, what's that one thing that whatever that might be. And I don't know for the purpose of the podcast, you're asking because if people, you know, if I then list 25 books, we don't have time for that. But um, every time someone asks me, oh, what's that one thing? That's not, you know, first of all, just scrap that thinking because there is, imagine that you ask Michael Jordan, hey, what's that one uh, training routine that would make me a great basketball player? He would say, no, come on, man. That's not how it works. But so... Um, but I, I totally hear you. Um, so I'll recommend three so people can choose. They're, they're quite similar in in what's in the books. The first one is The Paradox of Choice. Um, the second one is called Predictably Irrational. Predictably Irrational. And predictably Irrational. And so those two books are somewhat similar in what, what they talk about. It's a 
it goes into how we make decisions, often irrational decisions, often, you know, we are biased. Our brain is, it's not as, our brain is an amazing thing, but it has its blind spots and its tendencies and its biases that don't always serve us. And it's really useful to understand how the brain works, especially how we make decisions and often um, biased decisions. And those two books uh, go into it in a lot of detail. A lot of research evidence really backed up. Uh, it's it's like a, it's almost like a science paper. And the third book is Influence uh, by Robert Dodini. Dodini. Yeah, and who again, it's similar thing. It's how we being how the mind and thinking and beliefs and perception is being shaped. Um but how we can shape it as well. Always, you know, what's in these books, it's often about how we're being manipulated, but we can reverse engineer that and we can manipulate ourselves in a way that, that we want. So I think these books are full of great tools um, in how to how to shape our minds and, and perception and thinking. I really love them. I've read them many, many times. Thank you. Uh, I didn't know the first two. I've read Influence and I agree with you. It's it's perhaps one of the most important books I've read. Fascinating book, Influence. Now, you said that you don't like the, the one thing uh, type of question or approach. However, I'm going to try again. <laughs> please <laughs> and do, I please. I hear you <laughs> as well, but let me try again. Um, again, if you think uh, please about... don't please don't take it as me correct correcting you. That's that's not what I meant. It's more for your listeners. No, 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 and and, and I and I get it, and and I agree with you. Even if if I think about again my area of expertise, Thomas, if somebody asked me that question, I would have answered the same way. I would say, look, <laughs> I could give you a hundred books. It's it's there's no one book, but. Uh, then when I ask the question, then I, I flip it. <laughs> sure, I, I get it, I get it. Now, if you think about everything we talked about, is there one thing that you would like our listeners today to to remember, to to take away, to, to, to do, w whatever it is? Is there one concept, it could be an idea, a reflection, an insight, anything that you've shared, which you think is perhaps... The most important thing we talked about today. Mm -hmm. So I, I will have. Um, I'll give you one thing, but probably not necessarily what you're asking for. Well, maybe maybe it is. I would encourage them to listen to the podcast again or watch the video again. Not because you know we are two handsome men, but because um, there is a lot of really good insights, and that could be just one thing. Sometimes, and I, I go against my own thing, sometimes we read a book or we watch a video and it could be, there could be one thing, one sentence, one phrase, um, one point that just, it does something to us, right? And um, so I would, usually when we watch something for the first time, listen to something for the first time, it's the information is coming at us and, and um, we kind of go through it. But I know this from reading books multiple times sometimes when you read it again it's just this whole new wealth of of knowledge of things that you didn't notice before so i would encourage them if they you know if they can take it 
to uh, listen through this again with a pen and paper and maybe pause it and just when we make some of those points that you shared some some great things as well maybe pause it and, and reflect on it how does it and ask themselves how does it apply to me am i doing this could i use this could i apply some of this and um because it, this shouldn't be just another podcast that they listen to um because there'll be another one another one another one and to really get value out of something we need to sort of pause and 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 work on extracting that and the best way to do that is to re-listen to it and and take some notes and and then apply it so that's my thank maybe you unusual you, tip. thomas you made me think of my experience with you because again if we go back two years ago when i was doing the dent accelerator and you were the sales mentor then it's it was not just for the sales element it was like the way the program was structured it was a 12 month program which was based around repetition so it was sales it was product it was like there were a few things but then you would cover every element and then you would repeat it and then you would repeat it a third time and i have to tell you thomas that I had three sales sessions with you over 12 months. All of them were super useful, but you're right. For me, the, the last one was a game changer. Even if you went through exactly the same things, but then maybe it was the way because I, I had already acquired certain elements, it was an opportunity for me to just fine-tune certain elements and it was a game changer and that was thanks to their repetition approach yeah and it, honestly it's um it's so useful i uh, let, let's maybe wrap wrap with this one little um final takeaway when i was doing those workshops i mentioned I did like 100 workshops and i had i think about 10 topics that i just repeated 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 because they're the most popular and I often started my workshop with saying, you know, thanks everybody for, for coming today. I'm, I'm really looking forward to share this um, information with you about such and such topic. However, deep inside, I hope that you're not going to learn anything new. And people look at me like, what? That's why I'm here, to learn something new. And then I told them, they were like, why? And I told them, well, because... If you sit through this, or maybe they, when they listen to your podcast today, they may go, well, I already know this. Yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, I know changing beliefs and so and so. And I told them, because if you still have the problem that the talk was about, that it only means that you're not applying what you already know. So maybe this talk or maybe this podcast is the time where they just need to hear it. That time when I go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I haven't really, I haven't really put it in practice. I'm not really doing that. So we often look for that magic bullet, something that will just click and will be easy to apply and get a, get us the results. But um, that's not how it works. Yeah. And Thomas, before we close, if anybody would like to connect with you to learn more about what you do, to go deeper on on your area of expertise, where where should they go? What should they do? I think the best place would be to either check out my LinkedIn or go to my website, okaysnotenough.com. I have a thomasfedorka.com as well. It, it, it's 
too hard to spell. So if they just go for okaysnotenough.com, it takes them to the same place. And I share um, a lot of content there, a lot of articles and videos and, you know, on confidence, this gigantic article, which is about, I think it's um, 63 plus tips on how to build confidence. It's like 10,000 words long. Uh, many of them have videos as well. Uh, the tips, a lot of content there. So I think my website would be the best place to to come for more. Perfect. And I'm going to include the the link of your website to the um, in the show notes. Also, the I'm going to include the the links of the three books that you suggested. Every everything will be in the show notes. And Thomas, thank you very much. As I said at the very beginning, I I've wanted to have you with for an episode of of our podcast for a long time and um and I'm happy that that we did it. It was a great conversation. I personally learned a lot and I'm glad that we found a lot of connections with the main reason why people like to listen to this podcast, communication, public speaking. So thank you very much for making those connections and making it relevant. And and again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Let's keep in touch and uh, all the very best. Thanks so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. I hope it's going to be useful um, to your listeners. And um, yeah, I just want to say one more time, well done. And um, as one of your former mentors, I'm, I'm really um, stoked watching you grow the way you do. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of the Ideas on Stage podcast, there are many more you might like. So please subscribe, leave us a review and tell us what you think. You can find many more ideas on business communication at ideasonstage.com or by searching for Ideas on Stage on iTunes, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.